look into the future. I think this is something that will help our listeners to protect themselves, to get the word out about all these different types of scams and frauds that are out there. Introducing the Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mike Carroll and International VP Mark Solomon. Hello, hello, hello. This is Mike Carroll, International President of the IAFCI. Welcome to today's podcast. I am with Mark Solomon, our International Vice President. Mark, how are you doing today? Mr. Carroll, I'm doing great. I'm really pumped up for this uh, podcast episode. Looking forward to it. Uh, We have a special guest on board. Well, Mark, you're in Connecticut. I'm in Chicago. And our guest today, he's from Pittsburgh. Why don't you introduce him? I will. I will. And he's no stranger to the podcast. So he was our very first guest for IFCI Presents the Protectors. He is a private sector compliance professional specializing in anti-money laundering, counter-terrorist financing, global sanctions, and illicit finance, with a current focus on the digital asset space. Having spent nearly a decade in public sector serving various agencies of the United States Justice and Treasury Departments, Michael was recently appointed Chief Financial Officer of Hybrid Neobank and Crypto Exchange, also known as Level, where he provides subject matter expertise thought leadership, and full oversight of the institution's counter-illicit finance and regulatory compliance program. Welcome back to the show, Michael Fascinello. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Great to to join you guys uh, again. Thank you so much for having me back. Hey, welcome, Mike. You know, talking about cryptocurrency, something I'm always trying to learn more about, but I learned a new term with cryptocurrency, NFTs, and uh, why people are excited about them. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so NFTs, uh, they are uh, definitely a firestorm of activity, uh, at least over the last year, year and a half. Towards the late months of 2021, we started to see a lot of activity and in, uh, in speculation of these assets, as well as abuse of the space itself due to uh, basically a pure lack of regulation. So an NFT is a non-fungible token. It's a digital asset, which is, you can basically equate it to, you know, like a piece of rare luxury art, things like that. They have a couple of different types. So you've got uh, digital art with non-fungible tokens. A lot of times these are like, uh, you know, you've seen these bored apes, yacht club images, pictures of these funky looking monkeys, you know, of different uh, styles of dogs or cats, uh, crypto kitties, all sorts of different funny names in, uh, in digital art. What they do is these developers, they will pair this type of digital art with benefits on the metaverse, which is Web3, and a couple of other things that mean a lot more to the tech-savvy folk out there in the crypto and digital asset space. Basically, it's a piece of art that has advantages, benefits, perks that go along with it for use online beyond the digital art itself. Then besides that, non-fungible tokens can also be certificates of authenticity. Uh, they can also be a verification of ownership by specific individuals. So you can you can liken this to a contract of sorts. Basically, the blockchain is being used to, to register data in a way that is uh, unique to the individual asset itself, unlike any other asset in that same class. So when we're looking at these things uh, in terms of currencies, for example, a dollar bill, you know, I trade a dollar bill with you. It's still worth a dollar. It still looks like a dollar, still feels like a dollar. One Bitcoin. We swap Bitcoin. Uh, you know, I swap one with you, uh, you know, depending on how, how much time goes between that transaction. Generally, one Bitcoin is always going to equal one Bitcoin. 
So those are those are uh, what we're looking at when we're talking about non-fungible. So fungibility itself is the interchangeability of an asset. So when we're talking about non-fungible, these assets are, are things that can't be swapped for equal value. They can't be swapped for equal uh, you know, representation and, and, uh, and ownership and, and a meaning to the owner itself. It's, it's very much like a luxury asset or something that's unique in and of itself. So you're saying it's sort of like a one-of-a-kind type you know, token? Exactly. Okay. And how long has NFTs been around, Mike? Is this something that's very new? Has it been around with cryptocurrency? When, how did it get its start? I think the original NFT uh, was dating back to 2015, if I'm right, year-wise. I believe it was a recording, actually. I'd have to go back and look, but it, I'm pretty sure it was something as plain and simple as, a, as an audio recording that somebody made and that eventually uh, swapped or sold with another individual online. It's a very interesting story when I, when I first wow. read it, but it's been, been a while since I actually took a look. How does something like that, you know, somebody creates this audio recording and then all of a sudden it gets value? How, how does that work? Yeah, so basically the uh, the individual took this recording. Again, I can't remember specifically if it was audio or video. Sometimes uh, there are video clips and things like that. So it's basically taking you know this digital asset and using the blockchain to embed data into the blockchain itself that, that describes the asset and then describes the transaction, the ownership between the two individuals. So for example, a more recent use case for this is Nike. Okay. Nike has these shoes, you know, everybody loves Nike shoes. They come out, they want the newest, the best, uh, you know, they want the Jordans or they want the air, you know, the air Jordans or this or that, whatever. And so now they're getting into the NFT space where, for example, they will create a certain pair of shoes a certain number of these shoes, you know, the, like uh, zero to 100 or zero to 300, whatever it is. And uh, along with that will be not just the physical pair of shoes, but they'll also give you like a digital image of the shoe itself. And then you'll also get a NFT certification of ownership, basically like a certificate of authenticity. Um, I haven't seen whether or not it specifically calls out the owner. Like if I buy a pair of these online, it says this pair of shoes, number, blah, 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 or, you know, is is connected with me or if it's just basically numbering the uh, the pair of shoes itself and authenticating it as a, as an actual uh, Nike brand of shoes. But that's the use case is it's a, it's a use of the blockchain to very uniquely and, uh, and finitely clarify that this user owns this pair of shoes or, or this asset. It's a, it's a verification of authenticity that can't be broken because it's on the blockchain. Wow. Hey, Mike, what about a picture of Mark Solomon? Would that be worth anything? Probably not. Listen, as you know, like everything is is uh, is sellable out there. Some there is always a buyer for for some type of asset. You'd be really surprised. Take a look at eBay, and uh, <laughs> somebody will buy True. a picture of Marcel. Unless you're going to put it on a dartboard, I don't think we're going to make any money on this, Mike. So, <laughs> so. Uh, hey, Mike, you know cryptocurrencies all over the world. Is there like any type of regulations for these digital assets here in the United States, or does it differ from country to country? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Uh, it does differ from country to country. Uh, there's a lot of countries out there that are doing what I call regulatory fence sitting like the United States is. And I'll get back to that in a minute. You've got basically three types of countries out there. You've got countries that will purely uh, adopt and embrace uh, blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. You've got countries out there that aren't quite sure what the heck to do with this stuff like the United States. It's it's very much, uh, you know, in in discussions on Capitol Hill and, and between the states and the federal uh, regulatory agencies and oversight bodies, 
And you've got countries out there that very strictly prohibit, you know, this type of stuff. You've got the the Chinese out there. They came out and they, quote, banned it several different times for several different reasons. Uh, some of the Latin American countries came down very hard on it and then some of the European countries as well. And what you'll find with those countries that are just very staunchly against this technology is they're the ones that are very authoritarian regime wise. They're the ones that like to uh, surveil and, and uh and keep control over their citizens the most. Um, there's an actual unique <laughs> perspective around that, which is arguably blockchain technology gives the most transparency to financial transactions. So if those countries truly wanted to surveil their people, you know, they would be smart and put out central bank digital currency or something like that, a centralized type of cryptocurrency. But uh, they, don't, they don't really think through it that far enough. They just realize that uh, in, its, in its most pure form, which is the decentralized space, cryptocurrency enables users across the globe to basically spend money however they like, whenever they like, wherever they like. It's cross-border, it's real-time, and there, there's no central governor uh, in the decentralized context. So these countries see that as a very specific threat to their authoritarian control and power over their people. So those are the three different categories. Across the globe, we're seeing uh, very much a patchwork quilt of regulation. And you can actually look at it as uh, what's happening in the U.S. here is kind of the same thing that's happening globally. Um, you know, the, the states, they really don't know. They can't agree on on a way to regulate it, how to regulate it, when to regulate it. On Capitol Hill, they hold a bunch of hearings in the, over the last couple of months trying to determine, you know, what assets they should focus on first, uh, how they should focus on them, what's the biggest threat to consumers out there. So there's just a lot of research going on. In fact, even uh, the uh, Biden administration came down with a crypto order that was very highly anticipated. People thought it was going to be either very specifically against crypto or very specifically for crypto. Uh, come to find out, basically, he's just rolling out a period of months where all of the administrative executive um, agencies are going to have to study the space and then get back to the White House and say, here's what we found. What do you want us to do with it? So it was a big no nothing uh, sort of executive order. So I think a lot of us were disappointed you know, to see that come out of all that uh, talk about the EO. So, Mike, if, if I were to put all my assets into, let's say, cryptocurrency or NFT, how would the government be able to tell how much money I have, uh, how much value I have, uh, if it's taxable? You know, how, how would the government go about figuring that out? And that's when we talk about the centralization of the space. Uh, centralized is basically when you have an entity that has control over the issuance or the transacting, all the data that, that comes in and comes out, that's centralization. So it's much like the Federal Reserve, which issues the you know monetary policy, then Treasury prints it. You know, they've got serial numbers on the bills, all that stuff is sort of very, you know, very close to the chest and, and controlled and surveilled. Whereas uh, decentralized space, crypto in and of itself as a technology can be used person to person with no uh, intermediary, with no in-between governor, uh, you know, to charge extra fees, you know, for being a middleman to facilitate these transactions. You know, there's nobody to really store that data, uh, no record keeping, no reporting, no regulation, none of that. The difficulty with P2P, and I just had this exchange on, on Twitter last night with a user who tried to call me out and say, you know, regulation in this space doesn't mean anything because, you know, you chuck a, you chuck a stone or a, or a rock into a, into a river and the water's just going to go around it. Well, that, that's true. But in the end, the water has to go somewhere, whether it's a waterfall or a lake or the ocean, it's going to go somewhere. And in the financial system, those are our choke points and those are regulated choke points. And so when somebody is using cryptocurrency, they can swap crypto all day long with person to person without anybody being any of the wiser government wise, law enforcement wise. But in the end, they're going to have to liquidate. And when they liquidate, they're going to have to go through compliant exchanges, 
whether it's a crack in a Coinbase, you know, whatever the case it is, they're going to have to liquidate through one of these exchanges that the government regulates and performs oversight of. And so that's where we catch most of these criminals in the end as financial investigators in this space and also blockchain uh, analysts in this space uh, is the centralized choke points. Hey, Mike, I was looking at your bio and it's very impressive, but you mentioned in there that you're accredited with discovering and initiating investigation and helping federal law enforcement secure an indictment on the first NFT scam of 2022, the Frosties.io scam. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it, it's a, it was very much a, a uh, unexpected and pleasant surprise to be able to help out as much with that as, as I was able. And it was very, very much a team effort. I don't want to highlight uh, my involvement in, in that as anything, uh, you know, more than just being able to basically recognize something for what it was, do some really great uh, due diligence on it, and then pass that on to the folks who do the real legwork, who actually go out there and, uh, you know, track down these criminals uh, and then bring them to justice through prosecution, or at least in this case, through indictment. So it was in early January, uh, I believe the 8th or the 9th, and I was, uh, it was a Sunday night. I was getting ready to head to bed, uh, just put the, uh, the little guy down to sleep. Uh, and I was just checking some emails and I happened to hop on the Reddit forums. That's one of the social media forums out there. And Reddit has these uh, channels, if you would, called subreddits. And so there's a subreddit for crypto. There's a subreddit for politics. There's a subreddit for, in this case, NFTs. And NFTs were something at the time that I didn't know as much about. I wanted to learn more about them. So I, I was checking this on a pretty regular basis. Um, I checked into the subreddit for NFTs and I noticed that there was some chatter from a couple of users who said, uh, guys, I just got scammed on this uh, this recent NFT collection that launched this weekend. It's called Frosties. And um, I said to myself, like, is this, you know, is this real? Are these people just having like buyer's remorse or what? At the time, I was working for a blockchain analytics company. And so I, I logged into our software and I, uh, I initiated an investigation using the address, the wallet address on OpenSea, which is the marketplace that these users had claimed they had purchased the NFTs. And when I threw this address in there, it basically showed me the source of funds on the blockchain from the contract, which is the uh, basically the deployable digital uh, contract, digital address from which the collection was launched on the marketplace. It's almost like the uh, the digital auction, if you would, for this artwork. And you know, the next question I had is, even though I started to see the flow of funds, and it was about 1.1, 1.2 million in funds. So it wasn't small, you know, small potatoes. Um, so the first red flag was huge amount of money. Second red flag was the user said, basically, as soon as the project launched, it sold out very, very quickly. And then as soon as it sold out and there was no more of these NFTs to buy, the developers and the founders bailed. They shut down all the social media. They shut down all means of communication with the buyers. And it was basically like, you know, imagine an empty, you know, empty auction house with just the buyer standing around. Like, when do we get our, <laughs> you know, our, our, our assets? Jeez. Uh, and so I had all these, uh, these red flags and I'm looking at the source of funds and then they're starting to do what's known as appeal chain. There's little pieces of it. So out of the 1.2 mil, you know, 3,000, 4,000 starting to peel off to different uh, addresses. And we call that appeal chain. What that does is it enables a, a person or an entity who's trying to obscure the uh, source of their funds. You can, instead of moving 1.2 million in one shot from one address to another address, they will literally peel off pieces of this. So it's not just a giant piece of value moving across the blockchain at one time, which is a pretty big transaction. They peel it off in small transactions. So it looks like you know, you're know you just basically making small purchases or whatever the case would be for those small transactions. But it makes it much less obvious that a giant piece of funds is moving across the chain. 
then secondarily, they started to, I think it was the second night that I was watching the flow of funds, they started to test out exchanges. Uh, one of them very clearly went to Coinbase. It was like 24 grand worth of this, you know, this 1.2 million take uh, went to this uh, compliant exchange. And I said, okay, so we've got, they're trying to peel chain. Now they're trying exchanges. It looks like they're testing out what ways uh, are easiest, maybe less costly, fastest, whatever the case may be to get this money to where they want to in the end. Then I saw on, uh, I think it was a second or third night, a larger piece of this, almost all the rest of the money started to flow through different transactions, about six of them, through a mixing service called Tornado Cash. And that's when I really knew we had something on our hands because uh, the use of mixers and tumblers and swaps and all these different uh, services out there that can obscure very well the source of funds and in many cases, the recipient of the funds. They're not illegal. They're not in and of themselves indicators of nefarious activity. It's, you know, it's very much just a privacy service. You know, when you or I go to the store, like we spend dollar bills all day long and nobody's tracking serial numbers to you or me. So, you know, it's it's sort of like that situation. But in blockchain analytics, what we recognize with this is the inputs and the outputs are mixed. So a lot of times they'll aggregate multiple inputs on the blockchain so that you know, let's say Mark, uh, Mike, you and me, all of our transactions are going to lump into one transaction on the way in and therefore on the way out. When these, you know, go three different ways, the uh, blockchain analysts can't tell from which of us the funds that the recipient has came. So it's it's just basically a mixing up of the uh, counterparties in a transaction to obscure the flow of funds. So once I saw they had gone through the testing process of the peel chains, they went through the testing process of the exchanges, and then they decided to go ahead and use a mixer, Tornado Cash. I was like, all right, this is definitely a scam. And when I talked more with the victims, not only had they um, purchased all these assets and then the developers and founders shut down all communications, but they also didn't get, and this is the most important part because this is where the crime comes in, they didn't get the benefits which were supposed to accompany this digital art. Because at first I said to myself, okay, we got a uh, you know a suspicious trail of funds here. We've got people complaining about being scammed. You know we've got uh, what appears to be a scam itself, but where is the actual crime? They have to have been defrauded, and you know they <laughs> they wanted an NFT and they bought an NFT, and sure enough, they got an NFT. They got the digital art. So where is the crime? But when I found out that they were in fact defrauded out of the additional benefits, which in this case were um, special online clubs, uh, being able to you know, two parties could take each of their NFTs, they could merge them and create a third NFT, which is basically a creation of new value. So all these different uh, features that, you know, they really, it's very difficult to describe them to the layman, you know, but basically the gist of it is perks were supposed to accompany the digital art, which they purchased. It didn't. And therefore they were deprived, you know, of a piece of actual value that they should have obtained along with the purchase of the digital asset. Yeah, Mike, it sounds like Old school mail fraud with new technology. You old school, you mail in a check for some product or item that you were supposed to get, and then you never get it, or you never get what you what you were promised. Kind of sounds like the very same much. thing, right? Yeah, very much. It, it, you know, it's it's your it's your classic exit scam uh, or bait and switch, just using you know new technology with fancy names and uh, some pretty funny looking images. And once I had uh, you know all this evidence, I said, "What what do I do with this now?" You know, I, I have an obligation not to necessarily clarify very specifically what I did next, but let's just say I got it into the right hands. It eventually made its way to federal law enforcement. Federal law enforcement uh, spent a lot of time over the next three months. But I'll say this is probably one of the quickest indictments in the digital asset space that I've seen ever. <laughs> the fact that they basically, you know, took something over the course of several weeks from 
a $1.2 million scam to now an indictment of two 20-year-olds uh, out of the state of New York. I was astonished at that. And uh, honestly, it felt really good to be able to have you know, a small part in that process. And it, uh, it, it really brings home the fact that all of the uh, International Association of Financial Crimes investigators out there, the work that they do on a daily basis and even on an hourly basis, although they may not feel the effects, the positive effects that that has in the space and the ecosystem and the people that it's helping out, it is helping people out. It is, in some cases, saving people's lives, if not, in this case, you know, saving people's money. So it really just hits home the fact that a lot of this, uh, you know, back end compliance, back end investigations, all this stuff, it really does mean a lot to preserving the uh, cleanliness of the and, and the stability of the financial system. Yeah, Mike, again, I'm still learning about NFTs. Let me ask you one more question related to this Frosties. I mean, what was the digital art that they were selling? Because the only thing I can think of Frosties is when you go to Wendy's, you get the little Frosty. <laughs> but what? what yeah, is it's it? a great. It is a great question, and you you kind of keep pretty much hit right on uh, right on the the uh, the needlehead there. So I thought that the Frosties they looked to me like snowmen. Uh, they were like rounded, and they had these pudgy arms and legs, and this big round face, and all these different features that led me to believe they were snowmen. Lo and behold, uh, during the investigation, somebody pointed out to me. Well, a lot of them have this, you know, tiny ice cream cone on their head. It looks like it's an upside down ice cream cone. And I said, shoot, I said, you know what? It looks like the Frosties, like from Wendy's. So I think, I think you're completely right is that they were meant to be upside down ice cream cones with all these different features. I don't know, Mike, it sounds like a, a total snow job if you ask me, but. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Mike, you bring up a good point now. So let's say I'm interested in buying an NFT. Um how do I know it's legitimate? How do I go about knowing, you know, with cryptocurrency, you know that, you know, there's a lot of different cryptocurrency companies out there, but, you know, a lot of them, you know, by name and reputation. How do you know with this NFT stuff, if what you're buying is really, you know, of value or has any value to it and it's not a fraud? Now, you guys really get to the to the heart of the, the matter when you guys pose these questions because you're dead on what that is. The NFT space, you know, Gary Gensler, uh, you know, chair of the SEC, he came out at some point last year and said, you know, crypto is like the Wild West. We need to get this under control. Arguably, NFTs is the real Wild West because you have marketplaces like OpenSea, uh, Nifty Gateway, a lot of different, you know, outlets out there that you can purchase these NFTs. They're not regulated at all, you know, to the extent that when somebody sets up an account to buy I was able to buy my first NFT in 2021. I didn't have to provide a driver's license. I didn't have to do a selfie. I didn't have to provide any identifying information other than my email address and basically hooking up my crypto wallet to it. So there's basically no KYC, which is uh, know your customer uh, compliance. There's no uh, CDD, customer due diligence. There's no KYT, know your transaction. All that stuff that applies to most facets of the financial industry whether it's direct regulation or indirect regulation. And as I discussed in our first podcast, uh, you know, last year, you know, crypto is derivatively regulated. It's not regulated specifically in text, but it's regulated in that the transactions that occur through cryptocurrency, they still bear the obligation of the transactors and of the marketplace participants to adhere to AML obligations, sanctions, screening obligations, transaction monitoring, uh, having a chief compliance officer and a compliance team, ongoing training, all the different pillars of an AML program basically go along with uh, these money service businesses that facilitate crypto transactions, even though crypto itself is not regulated. So in that same way, you know, we've got basically an aspect of the digital asset space that's 
inherently unregulated. It is not derivatively regulated and it's not directly regulated. So people are getting away with murder on these sites because the just as the uh, the buyers can basically onboard with no KYC and no verification, so too can the sellers. So the projects, the collections, none of these things are vetted by the marketplaces. And until that happens, it's just really a buyer beware. You know, in the law, we like to call that caveat emptor, Latin for buyer beware. And uh, yeah, that's really what it is. You can really get taken very quickly if you don't know what you're doing. And, and arguably, even the best NFT experts out there, you know, they can also get taken because there really is no way of telling whether or not the founder and developer is going to come through with what they're promising in these projects. Yeah. Mike, what I love uh, what you did with our first show is you talked about some of the pitfalls and scams that are out there with cryptocurrency. So what type of scams involve crypto that are likely to hit on people that are less tech savvy? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, for people that don't know how to buy and sell crypto using uh, you know hardware wallets and uh, and software wallets, hot wallets, cold wallets, all these different uh, you know fancy terms that we have out there, you know for example, we have users at the company I'm a chief compliance officer for uh, Level. It is a hybrid banking institution and crypto exchange. So we offer uh, ACH, direct deposit, all those different things that you'd be able to enjoy at a normal bank, whether it's a brick and mortar or an online bank. And we also offer the crypto part of it, but we make that very easy for the users. They can transact without having to get into the nitty gritty of the, uh, the tech stuff. And what we're seeing uh, in that space is the same types of uh, scams that go along with you know normal internet use are occurring in the crypto space and in the NFT space. So for example, uh, IPOs, initial public offerings with securities. We're seeing that in the crypto space in the form of initial coin offerings. These companies uh, will go out there and say, oh, we're going to produce this coin. It's going to have this use case. They hype it up. And then it's basically like your, your really common pump and dump scheme. So people that aren't really you know, knowledgeable of the crypto space and understanding of the technology, they may be easily duped into thinking something is going to be the next big thing. And they're going to, you know, get rich and basically retire off of it, you know, like People thought was going to happen with Dogecoin and Shiba Inu and all these different coins out there. It's basically like another bait and switch, uh, but it's an initial coin offering. Then we've got things with even the more moderately tech savvy people, like the ones that do know how to uh, you know, store their own crypto. They're not just buying it on exchange and holding it in that exchange's wallet. They're actually transferring it to their own cold storage wallet, which is basically like a hardware, it's like a piece of uh, what do you call this? So like a flash drive. And the flash drive basically secures their password or their private key, which enables them to transfer and transact that crypto back and forth on the blockchain. Well, we're seeing things like, you know, email phishing scams where people are claiming to be with the brand, basically the, the uh, owner's brand of, of that flash drive, whether it's Ledger Nano or, you know, one of those type companies, and they'll pretend to be with this company, they'll try to elicit information and eventually they'll be able to dupe this person into providing either pieces of or whole parts of the private key. And then they are able to transact that crypto right off that flash drive uh, across the blockchain and into their own cold storage wallet where nobody can access it. You can't freeze it. Law enforcement can't catch it. It's just gone. Hey, Mike, to go along with what you were saying, what can we tell our listeners as far as what they can do to protect themselves against all the cyber enabled crime, financial or otherwise that's out there? Yeah, the best uh, best way to go about this, whether or not you're uh, you're just a beginner, or even if you're, even if you're uh, arguably you know one of the more tech savvy folks out there, is to just have good digital hygiene, have good online hygiene. That means you know create 
very secure passwords. Don't use things like birthdays and, you know, uh, you know, dogs' names and addresses and things like that. It's stuff that uh, it's very easily researchable or people can cold read or, you know, neighbors can get a hold of this kind of information. And, you know, if you have a nefarious person, they can just start, you know, guessing and putting things together. You don't want to make things that obvious. In fact, a lot of people out there, they're really catching on to the use of, you know, 2FA, two-factor authentication, uh, linking up your accounts with your cell phone or email addresses for extra verification points uh, upon login, you know, using apps like Authenticator uh, or Authy, where they produce their own alphanumeric password for you that's much more indecipherable, you know, than something a human can come up with. Those are the types of things you want to start making it a habit of using. Certainly having some sort of antivirus on your computer, at least uh, from the get-go, and another good thing is not clicking on links. Uh, links these days, you know, I used to love to explore things back in the day. Any news article that came my way, anything that was like a product I was interested in, I would click on the website to, you know, go check it out. That has become so dangerous and such a way for malware to be spread across the web. And, and specifically in the case of crypto, you know, key loggers, things that can be surreptitiously put on your computer and you're not aware that as you're typing everything that you're typing, whether it's your banking info, your private key for your crypto, the website you go to, the love letters you're writing your partner, all that stuff is is basically in somebody else's hands because they've got a key logger that shows all the stuff you're typing. That's the stuff you want to avoid. So basically, if you don't know where where a link is leading to, don't click on it. You know, if you want to hover over it, a lot of times you can hover over the link and you can see if the link itself, the hyperlink itself, matches the description of what it's supposed to be. You know, that's helpful. A lot of times, like in your web browser, they'll have the little lock in the upper hand corner at, you know, the address bar. Things like that are good to look at. All these different things can really make a huge difference between somebody who's going to get scammed very easily and somebody who's going to be a harder target. Yeah, Mike, I guess it goes along with the U.S. Postal Inspection Service uh, always said, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm up there in age a little, but my son does some investing in uh, cryptocurrency. You know, I guess for that, you would probably agree that you just need to do your homework, right? Due diligence, make sure you know who you're communicating with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, arguably, the the better sources for that type of transacting uh, are the compliant exchanges, you know, where they're verifying users, they're verifying transactions. You know, a lot of people out there, they're trying to sort of, they're they're trying to make use or, or abuse, if you would, of the fact that, uh, you know, IRS, the tax regulation hasn't quite caught up, you know, where it really needs to be as far as, you know, collecting revenue and things like that. They're trying to make moves to change that. But a lot of people still think if they don't go through an exchange, if they do, you know, crypto ATM purchases or person-to-person transactions where, you know, it's not the safest thing to do, but you'll meet somebody in public and basically, you know, you'll hand them a bunch of cash and, and through your cell phone and their cell phone, you can transact for the purchase or the sale of crypto. You know, these things, uh, they're out of the eye of, of regulators right now, but they have their own dangers and, and vulnerabilities. You really don't want to get into that type of stuff. It's just not worth it. I mean, you're not going to be the one that's going to retire on this type of stuff, specifically performing that type of activity. Uh, you know, the best way to go about it, use the, the credible sources, you know, use the compliant exchanges uh, who are in business, who are adhering to all the different regulations and just, you know, do your dollar cost averaging. I mean, I'm not a financial uh, expert. I'm not going to be out there and, and giving you guys like financial advice, but there are safe ways to invest in this as a part of your asset portfolio and not get taken. 
Uh, and that's, you know, employing the different things we were talking about for, you know, good internet hygiene, using the compliant exchanges, reading up, doing the due diligence on it, all these things that, you know, just they're kind of like, uh, you know, common sense logic just to protect yourself in this, uh, this new digital age. Mike, you bring up such a great point. You know, I'm thinking about NFTs here and, you know, you're purchasing a whether it's an audio file, it's a, a picture, uh, something, you have to download that, right, uh, onto your computer. And then, you know, does that make these investors vulnerable, just like you said, where you're, instead of you, you know, you're clicking on this and you're downloading a virus or a Trojan horse onto your computer, they might get access to a lot more than what you bargained for, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, you know, the nice thing about the NFTs is you don't necessarily have to download it uh, on your computer outright, you can take screenshots of it, you know, that's, that's been a, <laughs> okay. it's been an interesting, uh, you know, point of debate, because people are like, well, if you can screenshot these things, then why would I want to buy it? I mean, you know, so you can just take a screenshot of it. That's its own debate. I'm not going to get into that on this show, because this is more about the, you know, illicit finance and investigations and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that's, that's something that a lot of people find amusing with the, uh, with the industry. But the nice thing is you don't have to download these things directly. However, it's very similar processes of, you know, as you would download an image, you know, those processes can be involved in this type of activity. And yes, you know, you can open yourself up to malware and viruses and things like that. Just a couple of months ago on OpenSea, uh, you know, they had a situation where OpenSea was supposed to deploy a certain update to their exchange. And the exchange uh, deployment was supposed to happen on a Friday in advance of that, several days in advance of that, somebody really savvy out there and uh, with nefarious intent sent emails that appeared to come from inside OpenSea. Uh, They sent them to a bunch of users on OpenSea and said, hey, here's the instructions to prepare your accounts for the migration from one version of our platform to the next version. Here's what you have to do. In those instructions, they were able to get these people to basically open up the secure parts of their crypto wallets so that the crypto inside those wallets, as well as some very valuable NFTs were stolen right out from under them. That's your classic phishing scam. That's just, you know, used in a unique way that's a, that's affiliated with this even more secure type of technology. So they're using the old school types of internet crimes to, uh, you know, to leverage their way into this more secure technology. It's really fascinating. And it's really you know, this is one of those things where, like, the sooner investigators, law enforcement regulators, uh, you know, catch on to what's going on and find a way to thwart it, uh, then they've already come up with something new. So it's a very challenging but a very exciting space to be in these days. So, Mike, boy, you know, you you make me a little nervous uh, when we started, you know, cryptocurrency. We started out on our first episode, and now we're talking about NFTs. And it seems like cryptocurrency has come a long way to being monitored and regulated. But this NFT, like I said, it seems pretty scary if you're a novice, you know, looking to invest. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you know, I like to consider myself a, a pretty savvy investor and, and a pretty savvy, uh, you know, uh, transactor in terms of finance and things like that. Uh, I don't dabble in this. I, I just don't, I don't mess around with it. It's uh, it's too risky a space. Uh, I did purchase one because I wanted to understand the process going into it. As an investigator, I needed to understand how these people are are buying these things and how they're selling them and, and what types of vulnerabilities are out there in the process. I was able to do that. And I at the same time, I, I secured myself a really awesome digital piece of art it uh it is a uh, dogecoin dog so like the uh, the shiba inu looking dog and it's got the toupee from i don't know if you guys are familiar with the gamestop fiasco 
online with the Wall Street Bets forum and Reddit and all that stuff. Anyway, it's got the Shiba Inu uh, Dogecoin dog with the toupee sunglasses and the uh, signature red tie, red necktie from the Wall Street Bets forum logo. So that, you know, as a uh, <laughs> as an initial GameStop investor, I had a little bit of, uh, and, and also a crypto uh, enthusiast that had a very specific, you know, sentiment for me. So I wanted to get that piece of art. I didn't think it was going to make me a millionaire. I didn't like think anything of it other than I want to find out how to buy these things and at the same time get myself a piece of cool artwork. So I did that. But that thing has sat in my um, crypto wallet and I've done nothing with it. And I'll probably do nothing with it other than use it every once in a while as a profile picture or something like that. But yeah, beyond that, it's just it is way too risky a space. Uh, I just leave this to people who, uh, I guess, have a higher risk tolerance than I do which is probably arguably pretty low considering I'm a chief compliance officer. <laughs> hey, Mike, when you're talking digital art, you're mentioning uh, the dog. Uh, you know, another great piece would be, you ever see the one with the five dogs sitting around a poker table? That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. playing cards. I got that down in the basement. I think that'd be a moneymaker. No, I mean, it, 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 somebody out there either probably has or will uh, you know, create an NFT out of that. And that's the very interesting thing is, you know, until regulation really hits the space and, and uh, you know, IP law really hits the space with uh, with some good opinions coming out of some uh, some savvy courts, you know, things like, I mean, you know, arguably the Mona Lisa is too well known for it to be done with this. But you will have people that will take art, digital art, whatever the case may be, something that's not theirs, and they'll create an NFT out of it and then sell that NFT. And the buyers, they don't know, you know, one way or another, whether or not the person is the, the actual creator of this thing. So, you know, not only from a, uh, a cybersecurity and financial uh, crime space is this uh, vulnerable space, but even IP-wise, intellectual property. I mean, people are just getting scammed out of their minds. Uh, you know, it's it's crazy uh, the stuff that people will do to scam other people, and then also how gullible people will be. So, yeah. Hey, Mike, when you talk about NFTs and uh, digital art, are there a lot of people out there that are submitting digital art, putting it up there for sale? Can anybody do it? Yeah, uh, if you if you know about blockchain technology, if you know about NFTs, uh, you're able to basically transform uh, any video, audio, uh, digital art. Uh, you can transform all this stuff into NFTs, non fungible tokens, uh, things that you can go out there and sell and create ownership of for yourself. You know that gets into what we were talking about earlier in terms of uh, you know enforcement of intellectual property, things like that. So as the space develops, it's going to be interesting to see uh, you know how people are actually getting caught going out there and peddling something that's not theirs. But yes, for the people that aren't abusing the process, yeah, they can, you know, go in their basement, paint a picture, create a caricature, do whatever they want, and, uh, and basically transform that into a digital work of art. They upload it onto the computer and they, you know, they do their thing using this technology and it creates a, uh, a viable record on the blockchain that can then be transferred between, uh, between individuals or, or entities, uh, you know, for an exchange of value. So yeah, arguably anything can be made into an NFT these days. I think we came up with a great idea. Maybe we can market this. Uh, if we do a picture of Mike Carroll, we could call it the OFT, the old fungible token. What do you think? <laughs> Very funny. Oh, man. Uh, uh, no comments on that because I do want to be invited back for the episode. <laughs> I'm going to have to cut so I come up with a good comeback. Yeah, you got, you got nothing. <laughs> hey, Mike, can I ask you, now you're in a different direction. You're the chief compliance officer at LVL. Can you tell us a little bit about LVL and uh, what your duties and responsibilities are? 
Yeah, absolutely. So LVL, otherwise known as Level, uh, it is a uh, hybrid media app and financial institution. It's like a hybrid uh, online bank and also a crypto exchange where you can basically transact uh, all of your traditional finance, whether it's receiving your direct deposit, getting paid two days early, using ACH, wire transfers, things like that. We issue a debit card, all that cool stuff you can get through your neighborhood brick and mortar bank or even an online bank. We do that side of things. And we also pair that with a quasi-crypto exchange uh, situation where you can purchase crypto through us fee-free and you can trade it, you can hold it to appreciate the value. Hopefully it does, you know, things like that. So it's a really nice way to bridge the gap between traditional finance with fiat currency and the digital asset space. So you've got a bunch of benefits for like the less tech savvy and also the tech savvy. So it's a great product and, and service we're offering out there. And we're very much treating this, you know, like a chartered bank. That's why they have me as chief compliance officer. We have a great team behind us and we're really making sure that this is as compliant as it can possibly be within the confines of, uh, of regulation itself. So we're not overly compliant, but we're just compliant enough to make sure you know that people are safe and the bad actors are kept off the platform, while at the same time giving this space the freedom uh, you know, of innovation that it needs to progress the financial system. So, Mike, I want you to pull out your crystal ball for a second. And can you tell us what the outlook is on cyber-enabled financial crimes and crypto and NFTs? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to see, you know, how things develop. I think we've really got ourselves uh, into a unique situation where, the digital asset space is, uh, in some terms, a quasi-regulated space. In other terms, like NFTs, it's an unregulated space. Then you've got the interaction between digital assets, crypto, NFTs, with traditional finance, as you're seeing with Level. So, you know, the touch points are all there. Uh, it's almost like a wait-and-see approach. You know, we wait to see what the criminals do. They start to do it. We catch on to it. We find a fix for it. And then the cycle starts all over again. It just perpetuates itself, so... It's really going to be interesting to see what they come up with next. I mean, we've seen, you know, the uh, the traditional exit scams now being applied to NFTs. We've seen the initial public offering scams with, uh, you know, the initial coin offerings for crypto and also your your everyday phishing scams through email to, in order to, you know, leverage their way into people's crypto wallets or steal their NFTs or their coins or whatever the case may be. So it's going to be really interesting to see sort of the, uh, the next round of uh, the bout between uh, the financial crimes investigators and the criminals. Hey, Mike, about five years ago, 10 years ago, I thought cryptocurrency was just a fad, but now it's here and I think it's here for good. So where can our listeners or somebody like me that wants to learn more about cryptocurrency, is there somewhere we can go just to learn how cryptocurrency works and what the future holds for it? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I think that uh, you know the uh, the listeners to this podcast are already doing one thing right, which is listening to the podcast. Hopefully, they're already subscribers. But you'll always get some really amazing uh, guests on here. I will include myself in that. A little, little, uh, little tap on the back. But you've had some amazing guests on here. I listened to all the episodes, uh, and it's really been educational for me. I mean, the great thing about uh, maybe the scary thing for some people about crypto and the digital asset space is you know. A lot of people will refer to me and some of my colleagues as subject matter experts. Um, they couldn't be more wrong in the experts part. I learn something every single day in this space. So I like to consider myself a subject matter practitioner, you know, just like a physician, just like an attorney, you know, these fields out there where it's more of a practice than a science. And, uh, you know, there's uh, very specifically for myself and being able to look at it from the lens of, well, for both somebody with a great knowledge of this stuff and also for somebody who has no knowledge of this stuff, where are the places to go that sort of 
you know, meet those two points. Where are the bridges uh, for that type of information? So one would be this podcast, the IAFCI podcast, The Protectors. Uh, I pulled a book off the shelf as you were asking the question. It's called Investigating Cryptocurrencies, Understanding, Extracting, and Analyzing Blockchain Evidence by Wiley Press. And the author is uh, Nick Furneau. I'll give him uh, a shout out because I think, uh, although I don't know him personally, he's created an amazing book here. I pull from it on a regular basis uh, just to remind myself of how this stuff works. Uh, it's broken down into really digestible and understandable ways of explaining some very complex situations. Also, uh, if you're if you're on LinkedIn, if you're on Reddit, if you're on uh, Twitter, crypto Twitter is great. Uh, I mean, I would say it's uh, it's a little more savage, and some might be able to stomach. So you're going to get you know both informational things, but also you know the uh, the jokes back and forth, and people sort of having uh, you know those dramatic uh, Twitter matches like between Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk and all these different folks. But aside from that, as a forum, you know, LinkedIn is great because you've got a network of people that you're building in this field of expertise, you know, follow a bunch of accounts that relate to blockchain intelligence, blockchain analytics, crypto, digital assets. I mean, people like myself are on there all the time putting out great content, uh, just very educational content because we have a passion for it. So it's sort of like a hobby in and of itself. But at the same time, um, we really want the you know the community to be educated because the more that the marketplace is educated, the participants are, are educated, the the consumers and the retailers and the enterprises and the institutions and the regulators and the investigators, uh, it's only going to make this a more beautiful thing. It's a beautiful technology. Yeah, can it be abused? Can it be used for for nefarious purposes? Absolutely, it can. We're seeing that. We just talked about it, but at the same time, it's a beautiful technology. That really is going to be the future of finance. I can feel it. I can see it. Uh, the fact that all these banks are now getting into it, all these big companies are getting into it as a form of payment. It's a more transparent payment than people really ever thought it could be. Or at least people were arguing, uh, the, the proponents were arguing for a very long time that this thing really is very transparent. It's arguably safer to use than cash. You know, which is very much the case, and so now people are finding out, and it's it's becoming more and more adopted and embraced. Uh, and and along with that, people need to be educated on it, and so that's what we're out here trying to do. So the IFCI podcast, uh, this book, investigating cryptocurrencies by Nick Furneaux, LinkedIn, Reddit, Twitter, go on there, take a look, educate yourself, and have fun. So, Mike, if people want to learn more about you and your company, where can they go to uh, on the internet? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I am also on Twitter. Uh, blockchain uh, Mike is uh, is my Twitter handle. The Owen blockchain is a zero. That's a little shout out to uh, to cryptography. Level itself. The website is lvl.co. Lima Victor Lima dot Charlie dot Oscar. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's Level is a, is a money app. It's an all in one uh, Bitcoin and crypto banking app with uh, chat based customer support. Uh, we offer everything uh, you know that your everyday bank and traditional financial institution does and also enable you to safely buy and transact in cryptocurrencies with less fees. Uh, most, In some cases, the buying and selling is fee-free. Uh, so it's a really unique uh, and safe way to uh, interact in the traditional finance and the digital asset space with oversight by yours truly. Happy to be appointed uh, their new chief compliance officer. And I uh, want to make this space uh, and specifically this platform as, uh, as safe and efficient uh, and enjoyable for the users as possible. Hey, Mike, I think I'm learning about cryptocurrency because the first time you came on our show back late August last year, I think I lost you at hello. But now I'm getting an understanding of what you're saying about cryptocurrency and NFTs. And uh, 
you know, we'd like to put information about your company on our show notes. And like you were just saying, if any literature, guides, books that you think would be helpful to our listeners, we'd love to post them too and let them know all about, you know, what cryptocurrency is all about and NFTs. Yeah, absolutely. I can get that information over to you. Well, Mr. Fascinello, as always, you never disappoint us. You actually excite us because, man, you are just a, such a subject matter expert, uh, whether you want to call yourself that or not. Uh, we learned so much from you, and I hope our audiences are picking up some really vital information if they're interested in investing in cryptocurrency or NFTs. And then also, I think, from a fraud perspective to avoid some of those pitfalls that are out there that scammers are trying to defraud us. So once again, Mike, we love to have you on. I can't wait for the third time we get you onto the show and uh, we appreciate what you're doing and uh, educating our listeners. Thank you, Mike. Absolutely. Thank you all for uh, having me back. It's been absolutely fantastic. Love talking with you guys uh, and uh, happy to come back on uh, whenever you guys have more questions for me. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate it. Wow, Mark. Mike Fascinello, outstanding guest again. He was a repeat. Now I know why. Man, I learned so much from him today. It was great having him on again. What did you think, Mark? I loved it. You know, like I said, it, it just goes to show even us, you know, we've been in the field for a long time. We're still learning stuff every single day. Like Mike said, he himself is learning stuff. And, you know, like I said, there's so many things I could see where criminals can pivot off of cryptocurrency and NFT and come up with new crimes and scams. So I feel like we're hopefully getting out ahead of it and, and educating our listeners so they don't fall victim. You know, I got a grasp on NFTs. I didn't know anything about that, very little. And just from listening to Mike, man, that's just another another potential for scams. Like he said, he had a federal case where he investigated NFTs and uh, his company and him played a big part in that. Yeah. Awesome. And people think that, you know, cryptocurrency or NFT is bad. And we're not saying that, you know, it's a form of currency, uh, but in the wrong hands, the criminals can do a lot of damage. So I think the more our listeners educate themselves about cryptocurrency, NFTs, fraud, scams, everything, cyber crimes, they're going to be well armed to protect themselves. Yeah, Mark, I was thinking to learn more about it to do a small investment in the cryptocurrency. That might be a good way to learn, just a small little investment, just to see how that whole process works. And you would learn more about cryptocurrency. I'm not telling anybody to invest in it, but it's just something maybe to look at. Well, Mark, I got to say, you know, next week will be our 15th episode. And uh, I've really enjoyed the ride. It's been awesome. For me personally, this is a new experience for me. I was part of a radio show when I was with the inspection service. Don't fall for it. It was, it was a weekly radio show. But this podcast is a little different. You know, we have great guests coming on every two weeks. And uh, it's been a great experience for me. I'm learning. Every week I'm learning. And, Mark, we got to thank Doug Taylor and Modified Media just for putting up with us. You know, <laughs> that's true. That's true. They make us somehow they make us sound good. So, uh, you know, that that's kudos to them. I mean, the Doug is just an awesome person and Modified Media. It's like uh, being part of the family, which is is great. And we, we appreciate all the hard work that they're doing. Mark, look into the future. I think this is something that will help our listeners and our IFCM members to protect themselves, to get the word out about all these different types of scams and frauds that are out there. And if we could help one listener to prevent them from becoming a victim of the scams that we talked about, well, we, we talked about the romance, ATM skimming, we talked about just all the different types of scams that are out there. We've covered 
a lot of them in 15 shows. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And I, I feel like it's part of our mission of the IFCI, Mike. You know, I know you and I were motivated. We'd love to go to every single community and educate the folks there. But this is a way we could reach thousands and tens of thousands of people, you know, bi-weekly that could come to this podcast, listen to it, and really learn something about everyday pitfalls in life. You know, there's a fraud, there's a scam, there's a cyber crime around every corner. And like I said, the criminals are unrelenting. They will try it and get you one way or the other. So the more you arm yourself with knowledge and education, the less chance you become a victim. So, you know, I love this show. Like I said, I enjoy doing it with my mentor, Mike Carroll. And uh, I hope one day we'll be celebrating our 100th episode. I agree, Mark. And I'd like to let our listeners know if they have a certain topic they want us to talk about or a scam or a fraud that's out there, you know, they go to the IFCI uh, Facebook page, facebook.com. IFCI, put a message on there if they got a topic that they want us to talk about. And we've talked about it, Mark, maybe even going a step forward. If you know of a law enforcement officer or financial crime investigator or somebody that has done some great work to protect our citizens, whether it's an arrest or doing prevention presentations or anything that our listeners, that we could recognize one of our listeners, we would love to do that. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? For our audience that's out there that's been following us from the get-go, We appreciate you guys tuning in uh, every podcast, but please get out there, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. Tell your neighbors, tell your friends, um, you know, this is something that everybody can benefit from. You know, if you're a police officer, hey, put this podcast out there to the community. Let them know that we're here educating folks about scams, frauds, cyber crimes, and it doesn't cost anything. You could check us out. And like I said, the advice is always good from our, our experts that we bring in from week to week. So, I agree with you, Mark. I'm looking forward to our 100th episode, and uh, it's going to be a great milestone. And um, what a show today. Again, thank you to Michael Fasanello. He was an outstanding guest today. And, uh, and again, thank you, Mark. I'm looking forward to our future episodes. All right. Well, that's it from uh, Connecticut. I'm signing off. This is Mark Solomon. And this is Mike Carroll here in Chicago. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guests' opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.